Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and 1420.com. Hello and good morning, everybody. Welcome in to the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. I am Scott Prather. Happy to have you with me this morning. Happy Monday. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas. What a weekend it was in sports. We've got all kind of potential craziness heading into week 17 of the NFL. We got high school football state championships this week, including the Reckon Rams coming up this, uh, this Wednesday, the saints can finish anywhere from first to second or third in the NFC. We'll dig into that. You could have a team finish in the top five of the NFL draft or make the playoffs. That's how low or high they can get heading into week 17. But that is the NFC East for you. The Raging Cajuns. The Raging Cajuns. Get the win in the first responder bowl against the Roadrunners. Elijah Mitchell was absolutely like he had a 94.2 pro football focus grade in the first responder bowl. That is the highest by a running back in a single game this season. Every team in the Sun Belt won except, yeah, Coastal Carolina. They blew it. They blew it. Complained all the way up to talked about how they belonged in the college football playoff. And then they just couldn't get the job done. While Kusa at that point was, uh, what, 0-6 in bowl games? Yeah. Yeah, Coastal Carolina. I The way the whole weekend unfolded was... <laughs> it was something. It was something. There were a lot of Liberty Flame fans on my timeline Saturday night. I'll just say that, right, with Liberty and Justice for All. But uh, the season is in the books for the Cajuns. They finished 10-1, and one, should be finished, should finish in the top 15. And the Sun Belt's coming off their best year of football ever, by far. And on top of that, you know, a lot of focus is on the G5s and comparing them to other conferences. And, you know, when I started working here 15-plus years ago, the Sun Belt was the weakest conference in the FCS. Quite frankly, it wasn't even close. Weaker than the MAC, much weaker than CUSA, Weaker than the WAC, which was around at the time. Weaker than the Mountain West. It was, just, it, was, it was weak. You fast forward 15 years later, and now it's the second to strongest G5 in college football behind the American Athletic Conference. 
And the American Athletic Conference, in a lot of ways, is kind of what CUSA used to be. Right? Teams kind of started jumping ship. Conference realignment started. Suddenly, TCU is in a P5 conference. Temple was not. The Big East wasn't a P. wasn't 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 even didn't even a football conference anymore. But you just you saw a lot of changes, and it happened eight and a half nine years ago, at the height of cable television's prowess, when cable television had more subscribers and was making more money than it ever did in history. And then there was a slow but steady descent. Streaming became more prevalent. Cord cutting, the works, more options. Ratings started to drop. The college football playoff came around. Just a lot changed. But in Coos's hurry to realign, they went primarily for market size like, you know, some of the other conferences did. Well, we want to invite this school to our conference because this TV market will be good for us. Well, in the end, some of the TV markets didn't really matter. You know, North Texas, FIU, with respect, um, they're not exactly helping CUSA all that much. CUSA, in a lot of ways, is just a, a combination of some old Sunbelt schools a couple of CUSA schools that have remained there, and then some old, you know, just stragglers and some that weren't even in the FCS. The Sunbelt grabbed some schools that weren't in the FCS either in football. I'm not talking about other sports. But they were schools with winning pedigrees, App State, Georgia Southern, you know, that had some success, and, and, and that success has continued. It's continued. Georgia Southern's had double-digit win seasons. They finished this year 8-5, and five, but still, App State has been ranked. They're, they've been the best school in the Sun Belt, not this season, but for the most part, on a consistent basis. And as much as everyone's dogging Coastal, we'll see what happens. I mean, they've, they've had one successful football season, and they kind of let it go to their head. But hats off. It, the, the bowl season could not have played out better for them. And we, you know, you still got, still got plenty of bowl games left. You got the college football playoff. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State on January one. You got some bowl games we'll be airing this week, including the what the Cheez It Bowl tomorrow. Oklahoma State, Miami. You got the Alamo Bowl, bowl between Texas and Colorado. The, the bowl, yes, that's a real bowl. Wake Forest and Wisconsin, the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma and Florida, which will join in progress Wednesday night after the Acadian Wreck and Ram State Championship game against Alexandria. Um, New Year's Eve, plenty of games. Tulsa and Mississippi State in the Armed Forces Bowl, Ball State, San Jose State in the Arizona Bowl, West Virginia Army in the Liberty Bowl, Arkansas TCU in the Texas Bowl. January 1, you got the Peach Bowl, Cincinnati and Georgia, Auburn, Northwestern, and then, of course, the two college football playoff games. January 2, you got a number of games as well. But I know, you know, one that maybe some Cajun fans will pay attention to is the Fiesta Bowl between Oregon and Iowa State. This this bowl season with teams with losing records and bowl games being canceled, 
the Music City Bowl, which was set to air on here Wednesday afternoon. That one was canceled due to COVID concerns. It feels a little different. There was some interest, I know, from... I know there's interest, obviously, in the college football playoff and in the national championship. I know some LSU fans and SEC fans are interested in seeing how some in their conference do in some of the upcoming bowl games. But, you know, for Cajun fans and and fans of some G5 schools and other schools here in the state, Tulane's game, which they lost, and Louisiana Tech's game, which they lost by five touchdowns to Georgia Southern. You know, a lot of the interest for them has taken place over the last week. And now that's all in the books. Won't have our our weekly one-on-one with Coach Napier. The season is over. Hoping to get him on at least one more time before it all is done. But do have a lot of post-game audio for you. A lot of post-game audio for you from the bowl game. Coach Napier, Lorenzo McCaskill, and Elijah Mitchell. A couple of Cajuns have announced they're coming back. Levi Lewis, he announced months ago. But Ken Marks on the O-line, and Big Sauce Taylor. Big difference maker at Nose Guard. Announced he's coming back. There'll be a lot of announcements in uh, the coming weeks from seniors across college football. Then let's, let's, let's rewind one more day. How about Christmas Day? Now, the Pelicans, they didn't look all that great Christmas morning, but, boy, they looked pretty good last night. They were able to win... As Coach Van Gundy said, you're always going to win when you're playing your best. The key is can you win when you're not. They got it done last night with only an eight-man rotation. San Antonio came back, took a lead late in the fourth, but Brandon Ingram, my goodness, playing like an all-first-team All-NBA player. Yeah, it's only three games, but, man, he's looked good. Steven Adams is fitting in. Zion's still finding his way. Good win last night. But that other team in New Orleans owned by Gail Benson. The New Orleans Saints... Alvin Kamara, boy, he he won a lot of folks' fantasy leagues on Christmas Day, didn't he? Even though it was the first game of the week, he also beat a lot of teams. Six touchdowns, and it should have been seven. Sean, what are you doing putting Taysom Hill in there to vulture what would have been the record breaker? But six rushing touchdowns. Alvin Kamara tied an NFL record. That was set back before there was a vaccine for polio. 91 years old. That's how old that record was in terms of rushing touchdowns in a game. And you know what? He died it. Six. The man had six rushing touchdowns in a game. Unbelievable. And the Saints blocked up their four straight division title. They beat the Vikings by, what, 19? Handled them in the second half. Scored 52. And now head into week 17 with a chance to finish first, second, or third of the NFC. Now... The NFL made sure that they flexed the Packers, Saints, and Seahawks game to all kick off at the same time so no team could have an advantage going into their game and know whether or not they can rest their players. Boy, it'd be nice if the Saints knew, though, wouldn't it? Because the odds of getting first at this point are eh, 13%. 13% according to FPI. 
And the football playoff index, it, it, it it's just computers. It factors it all in. But for the Saints to be able to do that, they would need to win against the Panthers. They would need to uh, hope that the Seahawks win against the 49ers and that the Packers lose to the Bears. And while the Bears at one point lost six straight, now they've won a few. They've also won a few against some pretty bad football teams. Now they got to play the Packers. If the Packers beat the Bears in Week 17, they get the one seed. If they lose and the Saints win, but the Niners happen to beat the Seahawks, then guess what? They still get the one seed. The Packers need it. Now, if they lose and the Saints lose and the Seahawks win, then the Seahawks would have the tiebreaker. So between the Packers, Saints, and Seahawks all have a chance to clinch the one seed. None better than the Green Bay Packers, though. They're in the driver's seat. You go back to that week three loss to Green Bay and that Taysom Hill fumble. Hold on to the ball, man. And that game turned, and the Packers won by seven, and they earned it, and they deserved it, and they're reaping the rewards of it right now, heading into week 17. But a lot of folks are worried about the Saints heading into the postseason. My worry remains the same. It's that O-line. Now, when, when Teron Armstead is just throwing individuals all over the field like he was on Friday, that was that was pretty good. But Andrews Pete, Nick Easton hurt, Ryan Ramchek, Eric McCoy playing through injuries. For a guy that, that doesn't miss games, Ramchek just plays hurt all the time. An extra week of rest, whether it's a buy or whether it's being able to sit your starters in week 17, it's probably... The best case scenario, well, it, it, it's probably the Saints' best chance to get to the Super Bowl. And yet, you got to play for seeding. You can't concede. You can't fall potentially to the three seed. You just can't do it. And between Chicago, who gets into the playoffs with a win against Green Bay, or gets into the playoffs with an Arizona loss, between Chicago and Arizona, the Bears are, yes, they're the better matchup. Saints defense is great. They would they would gobble up Mitch Trubisky. But you know, while the Cardinals lost to the Niners and, and aren't the best team, you know, mobile quarterbacks have been an issue for the Saints this year. Then we get to the NFC East. The New York Giants are five in ten. There is a scenario where they could actually finish with a top three draft. Unlikely, but possible. Depending on who wins and who loses over the weekend. An Atlanta, Houston, Philadelphia, Cincinnati win. Carolina win. The Giants lost, lose, they would finish with the, with the third pick. I mean, at the very least, if they lose, the worst they would have is an eighth pick. It'd be higher than that, most likely. Or they could win, beat the Cowboys, and then if the Washington football team, who is scheduled to play Sunday night, can't get it done against the Eagles, 
the Giants would get into the playoffs. The fact that we are sitting here with three days left in the year of our Lord 2020 and a 5-10 and football team is in position with a, with, with a win themselves and a win by Washington, excuse me, a win by Philadelphia against the Washington team that has a good D-line and is horrible everywhere else, could get in and host a playoff game at 6-10. and 10. Heck, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like the idea of seven teams getting into the playoffs, and yet when you allow a team in that's, that's 6-10, and 10, then you definitely feel like, okay, well, you're taking up a spot from somebody, even though the seventh seed might potentially be 8-8. Eight and eight. It's very possible. I mean, Chicago's not favored to be Green Bay. They're not. And Arizona, well, they're playing the, the Rams, who need a win. Their playoff spot isn't guaranteed either. That's what happens when you lose to the Jets. Yeah, they lost to the Seahawks yesterday, but the week before is what really messed them up. How about the Jets? Two wins in a row. Hottest team in football, I kid. It's going to be fun going into the final week of the season. And then in the AFC, my goodness. Talk about seven teams. A good team's getting left out. Shout out to Marcus Bradley. Raging Cajun wide receiver, UDFA for Cleveland. Been called up to the active roster a few times. Got called up yesterday because of all the COVID-19 issues and the Browns being without a lot of receivers. Had five catches for 60 yards, but Baker Mayfield played bad. For some reason, Cleveland just didn't run the ball, which just baffles my mind. Against the Jets, when you when all your depth chart on your wide receivers are out, they didn't run the ball, and they lost to the Jets. And now Jacksonville has the number one spot locked up for Trevor Lawrence. But Cleveland, Baltimore, Miami, Tennessee, all 10 and 5. And all heading into week 17 with a whole lot to play for. That was a wild win by the Dolphins on Saturday. Dolphins are in the game. Two is struggling a little bit. Put Fitzpatrick in, and somehow he comes out of it. I mean, John Gruden has Jacobs fall down at the one-yard line. Now, they're down by one. Milk the clock. Miami uses their timeouts, and now it's fourth and goal after a kneel down on third down. Third down, you could have scored the touchdown, probably. I mean, you're a half inch away, and you got Josh Jacobs. Could have at least tried. They have no more timeouts. You have a, a little less than a minute left, but they'd have to go the length of the field and score a touchdown to win. But he milks it down. They kick a field goal. 19 seconds left. They're up two. They kick it off, and Fitzpatrick. What a crazy comeback. Gets it down the field. All Miami needs is a field goal. They hit it. Boom. They win. One of the most dramatic and meaningful victories of the season. And as a result, all they got to do is handle their business next week at Buffalo or hope for a loss by either Baltimore, Cleveland, or the Colts. Baltimore's not losing. They got the Bengals next week. Cleveland playing the Steelers, who everybody after three straight losses and a bad half of football on Sunday was saying they're done. Then they come back and beat the Colts, win the division, and... 
Don't have the two seed locked up, though, so they got to play for something. They got to play for something, especially if Buffalo wins tonight. ESPN1420.com. I love all the playoff scenarios. We'll talk more about the Saints' possibilities. Their win on Friday, their outlook, biggest concern heading into the postseason. I think it's the offensive line, especially the interior of it. Luke Johnson, our friend from the Times-Picayune, going to join me at 8 o'clock. ESPN1420.com. Jay says, man, score the touchdown and play some defense in terms of Gruden's decision. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. 19 sec. It's like, I, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's such a, it sounds cliche, but it's a game of inches. It's also just a game of seconds. I mean, if Jacobs can score, can, can, can get down at the one instead of scoring a touchdown and you can kick a field goal and go up two with like nine seconds left or eight seconds left. I'm, you know, I'd even be cool with it there, but 19 is just a little too much to only go up two. And it proved that, proved to be that as Fitz, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick guy grabs his face mask on this crazy throw. Looks like the exorcist, his head's turned around, the helmet's turned around, the old Danny Werfel game for the Saints against the Panthers back in 98 where his helmet got turned around and he can't see anything. And Fitzpatrick somehow completes this crazy completion at the sidelines across midfield. Then they get an additional 15 yards. It just it was it was atrocious. 19 seconds is a little too much. Even if you have him like fall down at the at the I don't know, man. At the one. You kick it in on third down or something. Yeah, although the Raiders' defense is pretty bad. But it didn't work, and uh, you probably overthought it. ESPN1420.com. Cool story that uh, Rod Walker of the Times-Picayune wrote that I uh, I stumbled across yesterday. Does a good job. So... Kamara's six touchdowns rushing was obviously tied an NFL record from, you know, that that it stood since 1929. But it also tied a record for just touch overall touchdowns in a game. That Ernie Nevers, who had the six rushing touchdowns. Set back in 1929, the great late, the late great Gale Sayers, and a 94 year old named W. A. Dub Jones goes by Dub. Now Dub is 95. Dub is the father of one Bert Jones. Yeah, you guys know that name. And Dub scored six touchdowns in a game back in 1951, when he was playing for the Cleveland Browns back when Cleveland was actually really good before they started counting Super Bowls. And Dub, the cool story is, as as he describes it, and Rod talked to him and he talked to Burt, 
Dub is a hardcore Saints fan, and his favorite player is Alvin Kamara. And his bird says he thinks Alvin hung the moon. He thinks he's the best player he's ever seen. And he's sitting there watching the game and was rooting like crazy for not just Kamara to match the record. He wanted him to beat it. So Dove, like many of us, was thinking, what are you, what are you doing? Pretty cool, though, at 95, you're sitting down watching your favorite team and your favorite player, and they set a record on Christmas Day. Only four people have ever touchdowns in a single NFL game, and only two are living, and they currently both reside in the state of Louisiana. Oh man, come, come on, Sean! You got you could have had you could have had seven. You could have had seven. Kamara said afterwards, Taysom was like, "Man, I, my bad. I, you put me in there." Kamara's like, "That's all good, man. Don't sweat it." Alvin Kamara speaking to the media on Christmas after his record-setting day. Hey, Alvin. First of all, congratulations. Um, what are your plans for the schools and just how does it feel to score that many touchdowns? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, the, the O-line did a great job. You know, I ain't really had to do too much, man. They, they, those guys did a great job. Um, you know, the receivers did a great job sending the heads and coming across and doing the dirty work, man. It just feels good to, to have one of those days, um, you know, just for the team, you know, just for offensive morale. So, you know, um, like I said, I always say this, like, I'm not focused on personal, like, goals and yards and stuff like that as long as the team is, you know, has success, then to, uh, personal success will come. What about your shoes? What's the plan for those? Oh, uh, man, I, I got all of them from my rookie year till right now, and I'm going to keep them, too. They're going to go up in my – they go in the cabinet. They, I mean, they go in the little uh, – they go, yeah, they go in the little cabinet. I got them all. Next one's from Larry Holder. Alvin, I know a lot of the storyline after this game is going to be your touchdowns, but you just to kind of piggyback off your answer, how good was it to get a win like this, 52-33, after you guys have kind of been sluggish the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, that's the main focus every week, man. We want to win, so obviously just, just dropping two um, like we had the past two weeks sucks, but, you know, we, we, we just had to stay focused. We stayed focused, kept preparing, you know, just kind of straight, stayed true to what we believe in and focus on what's going on inside our building. And, you know, we were able to come out and put on a, a show. You know, a lot of guys' families is here. It's, it's Christmas, obviously. So, man, it just felt good. You know, we're back in the winning column. Next one's from Mike Triplett. Uh, Alvin, real quick, do, do you think you're fine, like, in exchange for sending them to Canton uh, for wearing those shoes? Any deals you can make? Oh, they're probably, they're, they're probably going to find me. If, I mean, if they find me, whatever it is, I'll just match it and donate it to charity, you know. <laughs> the Grinch always try to steal Christmas, you know. So, get them. <laughs> Um, and when, when did you know uh, that, that there was a potential NFL record in sight? And, and when did you know it in relation to uh, the, the touchdown that they gave to Taysom late in the fourth quarter? Oh, man, I didn't. So so I, I when I had three, I went to uh, Coach Thomas, running, my running back coach. I went to JT, and I was like, man, what's the record? And he was like, hold on, let me figure it out. And they came back to me and told me six. And I was like, shit, let's go. Like, maybe I can get it. You know, um, and then Sean Gill Taysom, the, the one touchdown when I had five, I wasn't really worried about it. I was just like, shoot, it's all good. Whatever, we we right there. I'm second at least. And then Troutman went and caught that ball, and uh, Drew gave him a good ball, and he he ain't score. I, you know, I was looking for him to score, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, <laughs> this might be my chance. And Sean was like, go. So, um, you know, I just told the old line, I was like, get me in there, let's get it. And we were able to get it. You know, we we had the celebration planned out, man. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great moment. You know, I wouldn't want to do it with another group. Next one's from Nick Underhill. 
It, it looked like you guys were using a lot of shifts of motion early in the game. How, how did that help open up some uh, running lanes for you? Man, I mean, it, it helps. You know, we got receivers that want to go down there and, and block and get dirty. You know, with, with Quez out there, um, he's doing a great job. You know, it's being his first year. I mean, he's coming on and he, he's he's learning and, and he's excelling. You know, in the role he's playing. Um, Cat, um, uh, Austin Carr, um, JJ, all those guys, man, they're doing what they got to do. Cook, Josh Hill, they're doing what they got to do. And then, not to mention, like I said, the O line. I mean, they're 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 doing great. Shifts emotions kind of throw off the defense. And, you know, when you have guys that are willing to, to put in that extra effort to, you know, make the scheme work and bring it to life, it, it, I mean, it, it makes it all that much uh, more worth it. We're all set. Thanks, AK. Yep. Good stuff from Alvin Kamara. The best line in there is about his Christmas cleats he wore. The red and green one about getting fined. I'm sure they will, but I'll just match it, donate it to charity. The Grinch always tries to steal Christmas. Saints got a shot in the NFC, man. And here's the thing about the NFC. Like in the AFC, you've got, I think, better, te- you're going to have better teams one through seven, obviously, because you're going to either have, you're probably going to have the Bears in the NFC plus an NFC East representative. So that, you know, docks you plenty. Whereas in the AFC, you're going to have you know, a really good team on the outside looking in. But you've also got the best team in the league that's already got the one seed locked up, that already has a bye. That their old line is a bit questionable right now, and I think if they do lose and don't win at all, that's going to be their Achilles. I'm talking about the Chiefs. But in the NFC, I mean, each team has a weakness. The Packers, probably going to be the one seed. I don't see them losing to the Bears. And I think their weakness, obviously, is run defense. From a physical standpoint, physically in the trenches, if it's a close game, they struggle. But if Aaron Rodgers, you know, gives you a nice lead and you kind of start, you know, having to force the team into passing situations, you're fine. And and, and even that, it's not like the the Packers' rush defense is like horrible or anything. But you think back to to their loss last year in the NFC title game and the 285 yards rushing by San Francisco. You think to their loss to the Vikings this year in Dalvin Cook and his 226 yards he gained individually from scrimmage. And you think about gusty conditions at Lambeau Field and, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's their weakness right there, but it's not like they're the worst. I'm just pointing it out. The Saints, obviously, they've got weaknesses. The interior of that offensive line. Can Drew Brees find his rhythm that he's still looking for since coming back from the injury? Can they get through a game without getting, you know, a bunch of defensive PI calls? For the Seahawks, look no further than their defense. I don't care what Pete Carroll said yesterday of, well, you know, a lot of people rail on our defense, but they're really good and they showed it today. You're dead last in pass defense in the league. And somehow you have two pro bowlers in the secondary, but you're dead last. Good against the run, bad against the pass. Yeah, the Rams only scored 12 yesterday, but Jerry Goff broke his thumb. I mean, I don't need to give you a weakness in the NFC East. I mean, the whole it, 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 NFC week, the weakest East, and whoever comes out of it, they're a bad football team. Tampa Bay, we've seen what the Saints have done to them twice. I mean, they... Their their second their front seven is good, but their secondary is is extremely suspect. They don't have a strong running game either on offense. 
The Rams, we just saw them lose to the Jets two weeks ago. Only put up 12 against the Seahawks yesterday. Jared Goff dealing with an injury. The Bears, if they're in, what's their weakness? Well, th- their quarterback right now is Mitch Trubisky. Do I need to tell you anything else? At the top of the NFC, if you want to look at teams that I said before the season I thought would be contenders, and Norm and I were talking about this after like week three, Packers, Saints, Seahawks, Bucks. Real contenders in the NFC all have weaknesses. That if they lose in the playoffs and three of the four are going to lose, possibly all four if some team has an improbable run, which I don't think will happen, it's going to be one of those reasons, one of those weaknesses. In the AFC, you know, the Bills, honestly, they've got less weaknesses than teams in the NFC, but they've also got to go through Kansas City. Bills in action tonight against the Patriots. And they need to win because they own the tiebreaker right now with Pittsburgh for the two seed. And the two seed will probably have you playing either the Browns or the Colts, possibly even the Titans. See, the Titans hadn't even claimed the AFC South yet, though they get to play the Texans. A lot to play for heading in to the final week of the NFL season. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, Coach Napier, Lorenzo McCaskill, First Responder Bowl MVP, Elijah Mitchell. What do these guys have to say after the Cajuns win on Saturday in Dallas? What a performance. What a game. What a season. Ten years ago, the thought of Louisiana having back-to-back double-digit win seasons, of Louisiana finishing the season ranked in the top 15, of Louisiana playing a bowl game on network television, Everybody would have said, come on, man, that's, this team doesn't really play in bowl games. They, What are you talking about? Ten years later, it's not a surprise, which is the most impressive thing. It was an expectation this season. The job that Coach Napier, his staff, and the players have done has been legitimate and methodical. That's off on a heck of a year. You'll hear from some of them next. Luke Johnson coming up at 8. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show. We're right back right after this. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. You can email me if you want to partake. Scott at ESPN1420.com. We'll have open phone lines uh, a little bit later after my conversation with Luke Johnson in about 20 minutes. Got an email during the break from Jack. He says, Scott, how many teams still need a win to get to the playoffs in the NFL? There's so many different tiebreakers I can't keep up. Uh, Eight. Appreciate the email, Jack. Eight teams, Bears, Browns, Cardinals, Dolphins, Rams, Ravens, Titans, and the Washington football team all get in with a win in Week 17. The Colts, Cowboys, and Giants, one of those teams has has 10 wins. So, (laughs) yeah, the AFC and the NFC a little different. Well, the NFC East and the NFL a little different. But uh, those three teams could get in. They need a win and some help. 
So a lot left to be uh, a lot left to be determined for sure. Billy Napier after the win on Saturday. Chatted with us via Zoom, answering a number of questions following the Cajuns win against UTSA. A lot of good things today and uh, certainly a great way to cap off kind of the final chapter here to 2020. What do we got? When the team, when, um, when they scored 17 unanswered, you said that this group didn't panic. What do you, I guess, attribute that to? Cause that's pretty consistent with the way that they've been um, all year. And maybe you didn't give a speech, but did you hear other guys maybe talking to the guys like, Hey, 12, 15 more minutes um, in his arms. Well, I think the first thing you got to do is you got to give UT, UTSA a ton of credit. You know, I think, um, you know, Jeff's done a fantastic job with that team, you know, inherited a little bit of a mess, has really been able to go in there. Just imagine if you're a first-year coach, um, you inherit a tough situation and then also uh, no spring practice, mm-hmm. Uh, he's done a really good job from a leadership standpoint, you know, getting that team up and running. They've got a, you know, great character, uh, high level of belief. Uh, they've got a plan to win. Um, I think they've a lot of things that we believe in, they've built their program around those things. It was evident out there today. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for that. You know, their, their kids competed in the game. They've got enough pieces out there. Uh, to create some problems for you and certainly did that today. So um, a lot of credit to UTSA, you know, for, for competing the way they did in the game today. So, you know, 17 unanswered. I don't know that I ever thought that in my mind, but I think it's a good point. Um, I think it's too, it's too late to have a rah-rah speech. You know, at that point, either, you've either got the ownership and the character to, you know, regroup and make adjustments and, you know, compete and play through the ups and downs of the game or you don't. I think that's what I'm saying is I think today's game uh, is a reflection of our group and what we've developed over time um, as a result of going through some difficult things. You know, sitting here 10 and 1, uh, really, you know, I think we, we lost one game by a field goal and came from behind six times. Uh, and certainly today was much like that. Showed a lot of character uh, in the game. So that don't happen overnight. I think it's a product of a lot of a lot of hard work and really great relationships. You know, the theme of our game today was we talked a lot about uh, being being accountable. You know, the quality of the relationships determines the the level and the quality of the accountability. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that stands out about this team and this group is we got a bunch of loyal guys, man. There's unbelievable trust, guys that really take pride in their role and they want to do their job when it counts for the team. Coach, how important was, was bringing the pressure that you guys did on, on third and uh, fourth down on their final drive there? No, I thought I thought PT did a terrific job there, you know. Um, you know, we play deny the ball defense. We affect the quarterback. We, you know, we we uh, third down is a game plan down for us, and we work hard at it. And uh, those are critical plays right there. 
Um, and we executed well uh, and certainly played well at every level of the defense. There's, those were huge plays, no question. Coach, as an offensive play caller, um, y'all had plenty of chances to put the game away, it seemed like, before y'all actually did it. And how, how frustrating was that process? Yeah, no, I, I – uh, you know, we had opportunities in particular in the third quarter, I felt like. Uh, we shot ourselves in the foot a little bit. You know, we – short yardage situation. We got a holding penalty. We had one three and out. Um, you know, we had an opportunity. Um, I'm trying to put the other possession in my mind. Um, we turned the ball over, right? So we had a fourth and one that we converted. Holding penalty. We had a three and out. Gave a little bit of pressure. Uh, and on that three and out possession, we had a penalty for Lyman downfield. So I think the big thing there is, um, you know, we made some mistakes, uh, execution errors, poor fundamentals. And ultimately that, you know, we got a touchdown in the third quarter. But outside of that, um, you know, got shut out the rest of the way. So uh, and, and you got to give UTSA a little bit of credit. You know, they, they chewed the clock up pretty good and moved the ball, uh, hit some big plays. You know, we had a couple pass interferences, a couple penalties. Um, but, you know, I thought their quarterback played well in the game, you know, not only as a rusher in the read game, but also as a passer today. Coach, would you the, – the penalties, is that a long layoff? I've had that happen at times this year, but the penalties really killed y'all in both halves. Yeah, I think the the two offensively that stand out to me are the lineman downfield, which is really a technical error. The running play, uh, we kind of double-clutched the ball um, and threw it a little later than we typically would. I can live with that penalty. I think the holding, I didn't get a great look at it, but I think Neil – you know, that's a fundamental error, right? A technical error. You know, those are things that, you know, we, we uh, certainly, it's coaching, you know, I mean, there's no question. It's uh, discipline, right? Uh, it's, it's using the correct technique in a critical situation. I do think the past interferences were, um, I felt like two of them were good calls. I thought one of them was a little bit of a bang play. Uh, but in general, it was, all the penalties that we had today, uh, we can clean up. Um, certainly a lot of them are decision-making at the point of attack. Coach, how big an impact did the wind have on your play calling and just the game in general? Yeah, no, I do think it was a factor. Um, but although I do think our specialists handled it well. Um, you know, I don't ever think that the um, it affected the kicking game, maybe like I thought it would, right? Um, I thought the specialists really executed well, given the conditions. Uh, and I do think it affected the throw game a little bit. Um, you know, they missed that was into the win. It was really a right-to-left win. Um, that I think it affected the game in that part. But there's no question that we tried to warm up Levi, scrolling with the win against the win, just so he could gauge it a little bit. But overall, I don't think it was a huge factor in the game. We did expect it to be factor um but there wasn't plays outside of their missed field goal i don't think there was critical plays where i think it changed the game 
did it impact your decision on the fake field goal attempt or what went into that? We kind of decided if we got it in the fringe or red zone on the left hash, we've been practicing that fake season, you know, um, and kind of decided in the staff meeting this morning, if we got it on the left hash, you know, in the fringe or red zone that we were going to go with it. It was the ideal look, you know, Pierce kind of got picked on the way out. We should have had a second receiver out there. Um, but overall, no, we had decided we were going to call it going into the game there. And, it, and the, that situation kind of presented itself and we went with it. Coach, uh, uh, forgive me if this has already been asked, but could you just describe the, I guess, the added emotion of winning this game on, on DJ Looney's birthday? Yeah, man. Uh, Cody asked me about that. You know, I think it circulated pretty quick this morning, you know, that today was Coach Looney's birthday. Um, man, you know, what an unbelievable friend, you know. I mean, he was certainly a coach that worked here, um, you know, did an unbelievable job. I mean, I think you ask anybody. But just to me, just, you know, what an unbelievable friend. The guy would have been 32 years old today. Um, you know, I thought it was unique, right? I think that COVID was certainly a little bit of an issue early for our team, but the really the first significant event uh, that was really a challenge for this team was Coach Looney passing into – finish today on his birthday, I think it's a little bit ironic, you know, uh, but I think there's no question that our players were aware of that. And, um, you know, it means something to them. You know, I think that it's an indication of the type of person that DJ was and how hard he worked to get to know each individual person um, and his knack for saying the right thing at the right time. Oh, I think about him all the time. I mean, there's just not to. There's things that happen, experiences that we've had in the past. Yeah, it was a special guy. There is some kind of Napier after the win, and uh, the last one's there from Coach about DJ Looney. Elijah Mitchell, MVP of the game, senior. Many feel like he's uh, he's going pro, but might he come back for a senior year since – all student-athletes get an extra year of eligibility. This year doesn't count eligibility-wise. Eli was asked about that, about the win, his performance, and more. Talk about uh, the, the beginning of the game-winning drive, the, the long catch that you made. We all talk about your running, but it was actually – that was like a 36-yard catch that was huge in that. Talk about that play. Uh, yeah, man, uh, I had my boy out there, uh, Jay Will, uh, so, man, I knew as soon as I caught it, I better, I'll be able to have some space. And to be honest with you, that's I think that's my uh, – I love when I'm in the open like that. I like to move I'm saying certain ways. So, it, it was exciting for me. Just talk about the reliance that the offense had on the running game. When y'all struggle, y'all seem to just go to you and, and Trey in the running game and, and, and what it did to help y'all win today. Uh man, uh first of all, it started off it started off with the old line, man. They uh they worked their butts out every day in practice. Team run, we go at it, man. We go at it with our first defense, we go at it. So it just moved on to the to the field and they on the running back. So man, we just have to make it happen. They working hard like that. 
how important is it to go out if this is your last game or whether it is or not just to finish this season with a win? How important? Man, it was very important, man. We've been through so much, man, um, with Coach, uh, Coach Looney from COVID to just everything going on, man. And we just put in my mind, put in our minds that we just wanted this year to be be great no matter what the circumstances was. So we just kept going at it. So Eli, when did you realize that it was going to be there up the middle? Was it like first drive, did you know it was going to be there all day? Yeah, first drive, yeah, man. Uh, usually that's when we could tell what, how it's going to be inside. And we have some pretty good runs up the middle, so I knew it was going to be a good day. Can you talk about the play of uh, Levi Lewis, just his, his leadership on this team, and, you know, what does it mean to have a player like that leading the offense? Can you repeat that one more time for me? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I'll talk about Levi Lewis, just the way that he's able to kind of lead this team at quarterback, just his leadership. I mean, what, what does he kind of bring to this offense? What has he kind of meant to you as a as your teammate? Oh, uh, man, Levi's my boy, man. He he means a lot to us, man. He When you down, he always picking you up. Everybody on the team respect him, man. It just – just the way he talks, it just it just motivates you and just keep you in in a, in straight in a straight line. And he mean the most to us. Um, I know you. Well, have you made a decision yet on on if you're coming back or or if you're uh, going to the draft? No, I haven't made a decision. That's still still. So, up. what does that process, I guess, look like for you? Like, what what is your timeline as far as trying to figure out what's what's best for you? Uh, I think I have to January something to decide what I'm gonna do. But uh, uh, I'm gonna be meeting with uh, my family and stuff to talk about everything soon. Is that a, is that exciting? Or are you anxious? You know, just with with such such an important decision looming. Yeah, man, it's it's very exciting, man, just to be put in this position, even just to have that that the NFL to talk about and stuff. But yeah, man, it's it means a lot to me, and I'm excited about it. Now, look, I I don't I don't think he has made his decision yet. ESPN 1420. But if I had to guess, I don't I don't think Elijah Mitchell will be back next year because he's an NFL talent. He's an NFL type back. He would get drafted. He's a young father. I think um I think he's probably played his last game as occasion and if he has what what an incredible finish it was. I mean what what an unbelievable performance he had on Saturday and uh you know a local guy played his high school ball at Erath. Wish him well, man. And maybe look maybe maybe he'll run it back. You know Ken Marks, Stalen Humphrey, these guys coming back, Levi Lewis coming back. No one else has announced the decision yet, but for uh, for Elijah Mitchell, the NFL's calling. You can get drafted. Uh, just my guess. ESPN fourteen twenty at I'm speaking of the NFL. When we come back, New Orleans Saints beat writer for the Times Picayune, friend of the program, Mister Luke Johnson, joins us right after this. It's the Great Scott Show. ESPN Don't go anywhere. Hello. Everybody and welcome in to the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Good morning, everybody. Welcome into the eight o'clock hour. And as promised, joining us now is our good friend from the Times Picayune and the Advocate Nola.com, Mr. Luke Johnson on the beat covering the New Orleans Saints. 
Luke, I know you had to uh, you had to work on Christmas, but uh, it was at least a fun game to cover. The Saints beat the Vikings. Little uh, some milestones met, some milestones set. It was a unique game for a lot of reasons. But outside of work, man, uh, how was your Christmas? It was really nice. Um, we got to got to gather with, uh, with my wife's family um, out on their back porch, and uh, you know. Had, had to start a fire up because it was a little colder than anybody was anticipating, but uh, yeah, it ended up being really nice and uh, got uh, all of the uh, all the the family time and the present opening out of the way before I had to go cover the game. So it was uh, it was a really good day. All right, I got to ask. I mean, what's what's the top present you got this year? Oh man, well, um, I got a new computer, which is. Uh, pretty incredible because uh I, I was rolling around with the uh with uh, the macbook pro i bought um when i was in college uh so <laughs> i got that sucker in 2009 it was still kicking like, like it, it's a it's a champ i i can't believe it lasted as long as it did um but you know it's, it's getting to the point where uh you know i don't even think i could do any more soft software upgrades on it anymore it's uh and it's it's battery lasted like an hour, and speakers were shot. I couldn't like get on Zoom calls up with it anymore. So uh, thankfully, someone in my family was like, "You know what? I see I see I see a person in need who's not going to spend the money on himself." So, well, it it had a nice run. It had good good for it, but uh, it, it had a it had a great run. I, it, like, I, I think it, this this says something about. Uh, about Max products, right? I, I mean, if that thing lasted from 2009 to 2020 for a sports writer who's constantly taking their computer on the road and banging it around in their backpack and using it every day, I, I think that that's a good product. So where where is Drew Brees in the life of if he is a a, a computer? Like how what is what is <laughs> still he's, working he's well? 2009 MacBook Pro. Um, yeah, he's 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 in the 2020 stage as well, I think, uh, <laughs> but still working well. Still getting the job done. Uh, look, I, I think it drew. I think uh, you know he had, he had kind of a hit or miss game uh, this past week, and um, I still think he's working his way back from uh, the injury, not in a physical way, um, but he's he's getting back to having the the timing and the rhythm that Drew Brees always has, and and is why he's able to operate this offense so efficiently. Um, yeah, it's just not there right now. It's not there for the whole game. He made some throws this week that were just like A-plus Drew Brees throws. Um, you know, the, the one that keeps coming to mind is actually an incomplete pass. It was to Austin Carr in the back of the end zone. Uh, he's got two guys plastered all over him, and, and, and Drew puts it in this just like impossible window um, that – you know, gave Austin Carr an opportunity to make a ridiculous catch uh, if he was able to get his feet inbounds. Um, but then, you know, he's got Mark Marquez Callaway sprinting wide open, and, and uh, the Vikings secondary would have been an easy touchdown um, if he just would have thrown it on time and out in front of him. And instead, he threw it late, underthrown, but it was kind of off the mark, and, and Marquez Callaway had to adjust his body and, and come back really, really nice play to prevent an interception. I, I just think it was, you know, he's not quite all the way back yet in, in from a timing perspective. Um, and I think once that happens, he'll start to look more and more like his usual self. Luke Johnson, our guest, ESPN 1420. Well, what's, uh, you know, 
it's kind of, uh, I, I guess, the question of what's better or what's worse. Now, the Saints don't have to really make that decision where I'm going. I'm going somewhere with this in terms of whether to rest or play this week because their playoff scenarios are still all alive. They can finish one, two, or three in the NFC, two with a win, possibly one with a win and some help, possibly three with a loss or two with a loss and some help. So point is they got to keep playing. And on one hand, it's like, well, you know, he's, he's kind of beat up, you know, the old line Ram checks, awesome but you know he's playing through injury McCoy Pete and and Easton didn't play this week you want to get well rested for the playoffs especially if you're not going to be the one seed and you need help for that but then on the other hand you kind of need Breeze to to get some more reps in there in hopes that he kind of finds that old rhythm and uh, and can ride it all the way to the Super Bowl because while the Saints I think are, are certainly deep enough this year Luke to compete with anybody even when it's not Breeze's best day Boy, if Breeze is playing his best football coupled with the depth of the roster, then the Saints are a really tough team to beat. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's a point I was trying to make uh to people who, you know, they, they saw him play last week, you know, and you know, against the Chiefs and at times it looked like he wasn't ready to be out there. And people were saying, Well, why are they why are they letting him find his rhythm now when they still got the one seed? It's like, Well, uh, would you rather have him do it now or would you rather have him do it in the playoffs? Um yeah, I, I just think it's so important for for this team to have its best shot at winning a Super Bowl title. It, it's to have Drew Brees be Drew Brees. You can't do it without him. Um, you know, maybe you can. Maybe maybe you can go out there and win a couple you know, twenty to seventeen games and uh, and you know really rely and ride on that defense on the way out there. But it, it, only a few teams have have done that uh, in the last. You can think about the. The Broncos and Peyton Manning's last year, or or the Ravens back with Trent Dilfer. Uh, that's about it. Hey, other than that, you've got to have a, a really good quarterback who's playing at a high level uh, to to even get to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think it's it, it's important that he's out there, and it's important that he's out there with um, as many of these guys as he can uh, to you know, get that in. It's it's like a second training camp almost. Um, and yeah, I, I was really encouraged last week with uh, the connection he showed with Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I think him and Jared Cook are getting a little bit better, but I think there's still there's still some some areas where they're not on the same page. Uh, the interception being one of them. And Drew thought he was held, but I think Jared just kind of uh, flattened his route off where he wasn't supposed to, or, or not not flattened it, but but made it too deep, too steep when it should have been flatter. Um, yeah, there, there's just some some areas where you can see, okay, if you fix this or or get that down, um, or this this little part where you're you're not on the same page, yeah, that it's the difference between a, a 17 yard pass completion and an interception or an incomplete pass on third down and you know keeping the drive alive or punting. Um, so, yeah, you want those guys to to be as rested and as healthy as you can be, but. Yeah, you know, the fact of the matter is that it's it's a 17 week season and and nobody is feeling good at this point of the year. Um, so it the it's it's more important I think, unless you're dealing with like a significant injury like Mike Thomas was, um, to uh, just kind of grind through it and and be out there and 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 know uh, each other's rhythm and feel and all that good stuff. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. I'm Scott Prather. That is Luke Johnson, Saints beat writer, Nola.com. You know, I feel like when Breeze throws it to Cook, 
It's like the show Deal or No Deal back in its heyday with Howie Mandel. There's only a few briefcases left, and there's a risk. Like, dude, you might get a penny, or you might open up like you know seven hundred fifty grand here. Uh, and Breeze is never going to take the deal. He's always going to make the throw. So one of those briefcases is going to open, and you know, I think I think for he and Cook, there's just it's it's not fully on the same page. But when it works, man, it works really well because he's. He's just such a weapon, and and you need him, especially with Mike Thomas out and and no Traquan Smith and things like that. But we'll see what they do Sunday against Carolina. I want to ask you, obviously, about the man of the hour, and that being Alvin Kamara, who you and I spoke uh, a number of times about. We talked about him last season. We talked about him before this season, about how fun it is to cover a guy like this. And and I remember over the summer, a lot of folks arguing, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sign him to a long deal. You just don't do that for running backs. Well, that's conventional thinking, and there's nothing conventional at all about Kamara. He's just unique. He's different. And you see him have a game like he had on, on Friday, tying an NFL record for most touchdowns in a game, uh, tying an NFL record for most rushing touchdowns in a game. He just he does things that no one else can do, Luke. There's, there's no Everyone tries to compare running backs. There's no comparison to Kamara in my mind. Yeah, no, he's he's uh, absolutely unique <laughs> um, in so many ways. Uh, he's just absolutely uh, so fun to cover. Um, and Sunday, I, I mean, he was getting a lot of help from his offensive line. Let's let's get that uh, let's get that that up right away. Uh, Teron Armstead had like four plays that that just belong in his career highlight reel. <laughs> Um, just riding guys six yards out of bounds or like three yards into the end zone from the nine yard line. You know, it was, it was really impressive. Uh, but yeah, they, they were, they were clearing holes for, for Alvin to just uh, do the things he does, uh, which is just be absolutely terrifying to try to tackle in the open field. Um, and uh, you know, when, it, it, it was kind of funny to see him have a game like that, you know, because a lot of the times when, when he's putting up big games, it's it's like, okay, well, he's hurting you in every single possible way. You know, he's, he's hurting you as a runner. He's hurting you out of the backfield as a receiver. He, I mean, he really didn't do much as a receiver in this game. I think he had three catches for 17 yards. You find it, he had, he had a guy beat for a touchdown catch, but Drew underthrew it a little bit. Um, you know, uh, but <laughs> they fed him over and over and over again on the ground. And uh, you just don't see that out of Alvin Kamara too often. It was really fun to watch on, on Christmas day. Uh, I think he had what, 21 carries, 22 carries, which might've been a season high. Uh, obviously I, I think it was a career high in rushing yards. Um, and just, you know, I, I don't know what more you can say about the guy. Uh, it's, other than just, I, I'm glad I get an opportunity to watch him play in person every week. I look at uh, the other guy who started off, I think he started off strong. He was having a good game, and, and Kamara then took center stage for obvious reasons, and, and deservedly so. But Latavius Murray, a dozen carries, 72 yards, average six yards a carry. It's kind of the only other carry they talk about uh, from Friday was Taysom Hill's touchdown because, man, Sean, what are you doing? You know, he could have had the record, not tied it. Why do you, you know, that that's kind of the focus, but I'm looking at Latavius Murray and, um, you know, he also had uh, uh, three catches. I think this is a guy that I think quietly 
has had a productive season that they're really going to need in the postseason. And and even this week against Carolina, you know, it should be, the weather should be cold in Charlotte. You need a win for playoff seeding scenarios and the like. But if you're at home or if you have to go to Green Bay and, and play a physical game, I think Murray is probably the least talked about saint that, in my opinion, is going to be really important to their success in the playoffs. I agree 100%. Um, if you go back and look at at the, the games this year where the Saints offense played really well, and, and there haven't really been a lot of them, right? They, they've been uh, uh, kind of down this year offensively. Um, but if you go back and look at the games they played well, in basically every single one of them, Latavius Murray had a nice game. You know, he never, doesn't, he's, he's only had like one really big game this year, uh, but he's had several really nice games as like a complimentary piece to Alvin Kamara. And usually when that's happening, their offense is going really well. Um, so I think uh, you're right about that. If if they can get to a point in the postseason where Latavius Murray is touching the ball 12, 13, 14 times uh, and picking up 70, 80, 90 scrimmage yards, um, that, that's a really good sign for their offense, and it means that their their offense is healthy and moving well, and they don't have to um, just rely on on one guy or two guys uh, to be their entire offense. Um, and that's that's where you know sometimes they get really static. Uh, they've they've had two of the better offensive football players in the NFL for the last four years, and Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and you know, rightfully so. Those guys get a lot of the ball. Uh, but when that is your entire offense and nobody else on the team is, is really getting any, any opportunities or, or is not doing anything with their opportunities, it makes the, the offense kind of stagnant. And I, I think um, it's, it's no surprise to me that they play well when you're getting other guys a chance to, to touch the ball and then you're, you're getting Alvin Kamara off the field and you're, you're able to rest him a little bit and you're able to, to maximize the touches he gets. Um, and I, I think the same thing goes for Emmanuel Sanders. When he's had good games this year, the, the offense has has played well. Uh, and um, yeah, the, the, those complementary pieces are, are really important to what they do. And, and um, I think that has been the case throughout uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees' tenure here. Um, you know, they, they play really well offensively when when the the, the guys kind of down the. The, the chart a little bit on, on who's the most important to get the ball to are having good games. There were a lot of presents under the tree for Saints fans, but there was a little bit of coal in the stocking coming out of that game Friday, Luke, and, and, and that being Juan Alexander tearing the Achilles, done for the season. And so now Alex Anzalone, who was replaced as a starter, now back in as the starter – Juan, I, I'm, it wasn't a quiet impact. It was a loud impact. You've seen the impact he's made on on the Saints' defense, which is which is still really good, uh, with or without him. But man, that is a that is a tough blow coming out of that game for this D. Huge. It's huge. Uh, Quan has been so good for them, um, and it, it, I don't I don't think it's a, a coincidence that after he arrived, that their their defensive numbers just skyrocketed they, they were really really good defensively after he got there um he brought so much energy and uh playmaking ability that just 
frankly, Alex wasn't wasn't bringing to the team. Yeah, you know, he was just kind of there. He was he was uh, you know getting in on some tackles, but uh, you weren't you weren't really seeing him affect the passer or break passes up or or make plays behind the line of scrimmage. And you you saw that every week from Quan Alexander. Um, it's going to be really tough face that, and I, yeah, it's I, I think that's a it's a big blow to their defense. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from that. Um, I think they're still really good. I think they're going to be a good uh, defense in the postseason, one that one that can win them games. Um, but you know, Quan was was clearly an important part of that um, in his kind of brief time with the Saints, uh, and. You know, it, it, it's just uh, it, it's not going to be the same with Anzalone there. That's that's like I think it's absolutely for sure. And the the thing I'm wondering about, and, and maybe we'll see it this weekend, is yeah, you know, with without Quan in there, maybe they go more of the uh, six defensive back yeah. sets that they were playing earlier in the season, um, and you know, get an extra safety on the field, maybe get DJ Swearinger some more time, uh, and uh, play that way, but you know, they, they're hurting right now as a team. Honestly, it's not just Quan; it's they, they're, 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 they've got the number of guys coming back from injuries. So uh, they got to kind of piece it all together as, as teams kind of have to do this kind of this time of year. Yeah, bye week would be nice. Doubt it's going to happen. They need to win a Seattle win and a Green Bay loss to the Bears, who all of the t- you know the, the Bears have something to play for. You know, a win and they're in. They could still get in with a loss and an Arizona loss, but. There's a lot to pay attention to heading into Week 17. From a health standpoint, a couple other guys to bring up. Obviously, they made the decision on Michael Thomas, like you said, thinking big picture, thinking playoffs, what they had to have. You think? Well, let me hit on a couple guys. First of all, Traquan Smith is he potentially going to come off, or, or do you think he's done? Have they said anything? Um, they haven't said anything, uh, and. I don't know. It's it's gonna that, that one's a little bit tougher to to uh, prognosticate because um, you know, right before they put him on IR, he posted a, a photo of himself on a looked like on a plane on a like a Saints chartered plane yeah. uh, with his ankle in a cast and up on a pillow. Uh, so I'm wondering if he had uh, some like minor surgery there. Uh, it, it's just yeah, I would. I would anticipate him uh, being able to come back uh, for you know, that would be the divisional round of the playoffs is when he'd be eligible to, to return off IR. Um, but I, I'm much less certain about that one than I am the other two receivers they have on, on injured reserve currently. So as far as Harris goes, it's like obviously what he brings to the return game. I, on the other side of the ball, you look at Patrick Robinson. He's eligible to return this week. Maybe it's not till the playoffs. Then Marcus Williams, who's not on IR, but boy, he's their best safety. Does he's like I, I'm anxious to see their approach this week, Luke? Because I think they're likely going to err on the side of caution if you just look at, at what they're doing with Michael Thomas. And at the same time, you you do have something to play for. So is this a case-by-case basis, or do you think Sean's just going to be ultra-safe here and just hope to get the win and get as many guys healthy as possible? I think it'll be a case-by-case. Case. You know, if guys are ready to play, I think he's going to play them and not, um, and not just take the, uh, the overly safe path uh, because they, they do have guys – they do have something to play for. And, you know, with uh, – like for taking Marcus Williams into consideration here um, – 
you know, it, it would be really nice to have him on the field if you're facing Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, uh, you know, two guys who can really hurt you downfield. Um, I, I just think uh, I, I think if they are if they're going to be ready to play, um, Sean's going to play him. And you know, some of those guys obviously aren't. Um, uh, you know, Deontay Harris and uh, aren't, aren't eligible to to return till next week. Um, yeah, it's just. It's just kind of the nature of it right now with uh, with some of these injuries they're dealing with. But if if guys are ready, I think they're going to have them because they they need to win this game, obviously. Um, and I, I think they're uh, they're kind of going to pull all hands on deck for you know where they can, uh, and yeah, you know, hope they get guys like Trey Hendrickson back too, and um, Andres Pete and everything like that because they're going to need him this week. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. All right, Luke Johnson, what is your aside from? Health and maybe health obviously plays into the answer to this question. But what positional group do you think is the biggest concern for this team in the postseason? Oh man, um, you know, I, I'm going to say, and, and this is going to sound weird because I, I spent a, a significant chunk of time talking about how, how well they played this week. But um, I, th- I think right now the offensive line is kind of a concern for me. Um, yeah, there, there are games when they show up and, and they're outstanding and the Saints are controlling uh, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I, I think that's been a huge part of their success the last couple of years. But when the Saints struggle, um, and it's happened a couple times this year, um, they're, really, they're really having a hard time um, you know, opening opening rushing lanes, protecting Drew Brees, especially on the interior, and that's yeah. I don't I don't really worry about Teron Armstead and, and Ryan Ramchek, and I really, to be honest, don't worry too much about Eric McCoy. I think he's playing really really well and having a great second season. Uh, but their offensive guards have have been kind of a, at times a point of weakness this year. Um, and if they go up against yeah, if, like let's say the Rams get in and they've got to go up against Aaron Donald or, um, you know, some of these other, you know, the Packers with Kenny Clark, um, some of these teams with really, really good interior defensive linemen, um, I think that could be a problem for them. Um, and yeah, there have been times when when the play there has has just wrecked games for the Saints. Um, so they can't really have that happen. And, uh, and they, they need those guys to be at the top of their game and not slip, um, as they have at, at times this season. I, I would probably say that's the, the biggest concern. And then, you know, health wise, it's wide receiver outside of that. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir, man. I've been kind of on the, the interior of the old line worry for a few weeks now. And I even look at a team like the, like the Chiefs, who are, I think, the best team in the NFL. I think they're the team to beat. But I, I'm looking at some of their recent struggles on the O-line, and it's like, man, I think each team in the playoffs, if you'd said they're going to lose, I think you can you can guess what's going to be the reason. Now, maybe the Saints don't. Maybe they make a run at it. But if they do fall, Luke, I think we're going to say, man, the biggest reason why was some issues and protection and things like that. Luke Johnson from which, uh, – go ahead, I'm which sorry. Is, which, is, which is really kind of crazy. I, they, they, this, the offensive line, I feel like, has been a, a – source of strength for this team for a long time and uh and you know i I think they're a huge part of the reason why they've they've had so much success over the last four years um 
but it seems like when they don't play well, it just it, it really really stands out, and and it's usually the same you know one or two guys that that struggle in that area. Yeah. Yep. And and even going back to you know I guess their Super Bowl year, which I know was eleven years ago, and they only have three players currently on the roster that were on it then. Or even 2011 when they won 13 games. I mean, they had the best O-line in football, but they also had the two best guards in football. And I think, you know, Andrews Pete, everyone's got a, you know, feelings about him one way or the other. And um, is he as good as three straight Pro Bowls would suggest? Maybe not. Is he as bad as Twitter suggests? Absolutely not. Um, Ruiz hasn't quite, you know, settled in the way that they had hoped. And Nick Easton's dealing with concussion, and he's... I think got a got a ceiling that's lower than the other two. So I just think back to that loss to Minnesota in the playoffs last year and even even the year before to the Rams, which had, you know, the focus was obviously on on the nine call more than anything. But gosh, man, if you can if you can protect Drew and, and open up some running lanes, then you can win it all. It's it's I think the formula, I don't want to say it's that simple, but it just seems to me if if you can have a nice run with this old line where they're somewhat healthy. And that's why a bye would just, I think, be absolutely huge for this team, even though the odds of it aren't great. I just think getting that old line healthy and ready to go would be a big, big factor. All right, Luke Johnson, our guest. So, Luke, um, two things before I let you run, and we appreciate the time. I really enjoyed your piece. Uh, I enjoy all your work, but your piece uh, several weeks ago when you went to, I think it's pronounced Pocatello, Idaho. Pocatello. Pocatello. Okay. I remember you explaining the pronunciation in the piece, but I forgot how to pronounce it. But the uh, hometown in southeastern Idaho of one Taysom Hill, uh, I learned, you know, that was Merrill Hodges' hometown. I learned a lot of stuff, but man, I love when you just kind of dig into a piece and um, and it's long form. And, and if anyone hasn't read it yet, I suggest they go check it out because it was fun. I learned a lot and uh, everything about it, man. Just well written. Good job, man. I appreciate it. I really do, and uh, it's it's really cool to be able to work for a place that uh, that agreed to to send me all the way out there right now, especially right now. Um, it's just a it was a fun little uh, fun little story to do in in this kind of crazy time we're living in. All right. Lastly, we usually end. You know, you are a, a, a proud veteran, and you serve this country, uh, a Marine, and I, I, we like to talk about maybe war movies or TV shows. So, I saw one. It was a French movie, and I saw it like. 14 years ago at someone's house. But I thought of it because it's, uh, I think it was nominated for Best Foreign Film that year. But uh, Joe Noel, which is about the Christmas truce back in World War One in 1914, where it was Christmas, and it's a true story. It's a war, and soldiers from opposing sides all decided, you know what, for, for Christmas only, we're going to call a truce. And... Um, you know, I mean, World War One was, you know, one of the bloodiest war events in, in human history. And on Christmas Eve, you've got these various soldiers from the French and the Scottish and the German sides all coming to this truce. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but since it's Christmas, since it does involve war, and since it was a beautiful moment in human history, I, uh, I was going to ask you if you've seen that one or heard about it. I've not seen the movie, but as soon as you, you said the, the title, I, I knew what you were going to be talking about. Because it's it's one of my favorite stories <laughs> ever. Uh, is uh, you know, all these all these guys who are fighting in this just absolutely horrific war. Um, if if you guys if your listeners don't know a lot about World War One, just like really do some some reading into it or or you know, listen to listen to Dan Carlin's uh, uh, like eighteen hour podcast that he did on it. It's really great. Um, 
but it was just, it was absolutely horrible, horrific. And, uh, you know, just millions and millions and millions of people died. It reshaped the, the entire history of the continent, um, took away an entire generation of, of its youth. Um, and yeah, you know, all these, all these guys on, on both sides just stopped throwing each other into the meat grinder for like just a second and, uh, sing Christmas carols and like played piano and stuff like that. And, and just, you know, lying in blood and guts and mud. It's an incredible story. And I think, uh, actually like some commanders from both sides might've been like punished for that. Um, uh, yeah, but when, when somebody heard about it, like on, on the higher ups, it, there was, there was, they were not very happy about, uh, the fact that their guys weren't killing the other guys for a second. So it, it's that, I don't know. It's a great story. I haven't seen the movie. I'll have to check it out now. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, but you know, for me, it was like, I, I, I maybe I was taught about it in school, but I, if I did, I didn't remember. Like yeah, I learned about it, you know, that night when I watched it and Diane Kruger is, uh, is, is a beautiful woman and, you know, she's in it. She does a great job. So good cast, good acting. And um, I don't know, man. I mean, if, if I know folks struggle with the subtitles, I don't. I mean, if a movie's good, I'm going to watch it whether I have to read during the movie or not. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. All right, good stuff. Luke Johnson has been our guest. Guys, go give him a follow on Twitter at ByLukeJohnson. That is B-Y Luke Johnson. Check out all of his stuff over at the Times Picayune, New Orleans Advocate, NOLA.com. Hope you had a great Christmas. Well, you said you did, so I'm glad you had a great Christmas with uh, the wife and the dogs and uh, all the best, man, and I'm sure we'll talk to you soon down the line. Same to you. Thanks for having me on, as always, Scott. We'll talk to you soon. You got it. Luke Johnson, our friend. Great stuff. Luke, and, um, man, he's got some good stories, got a wealth of knowledge, great writer, knows the Saints. 32 after the hour of 8 o'clock. We'll take a break, come back, open up some phone lines, go over some other NFL playoff scenarios. Hear a little bit more from Raging Cage running back Elijah Mitchell. It's all coming your way next. Scott, uh, I'm Scott Prather. This is The Great Scott Show, ESPN 1420.com. Welcome back into The Great Scott Show. Here's more from First Responder Bowl MVP, Raging Cajun running back Elijah Mitchell after the win. And when this team got down, or not when this team got down, but when UTSA went on their 17-point run, they they tied the game. Um, As I was just telling Lorenzo, it seems like those situations are the ones that are most comfortable to this team. Um, Why is that? Because we we just put it in our heads that, man, don't matter what what hits man what, whatever happened uh we just always don't play our ball and just keep keep playing and we just came up successful Why, how special was this game and this win tonight especially on coach Lenny's birthday oh uh, man it, it, it mean the most to us uh we actually ran a play called uh 14 duo he loved that play so that was the first play we ran so it meant a lot to us all man we loved him so much and he just he just made us feel, feel love, man. <laughs> Last one. Sweet. Eli, when you hear guys like McCaskill talking and trying to lobby you or whatever, does it, how much does that tug on you? Wait, repeat that one time for me. When you hear guys like Lorenzo or whoever lobbying for you to stay, 
How much does that tug on you? Man, that means a lot. Uh, that just means that he respects me. He look at, like, you know what I'm saying? He just, he liked the way I play and stuff. And it, it means it means the world to me. And I respect him. He's an awesome player. And But like he said, uh, whatever decision I make, he's happy with it. So that's why I love him. Good stuff from Elijah. Your weather forecast today. Mix of clouds and sun. High is 72. Tonight, partly cloudy and a low of 50. Appreciate Luke Johnson for coming on board. Norman Locke is uh, scheduled to join me on the show tomorrow morning as uh, we weren't able to chat last week. And uh, this week, we won't have a Thursday show. Uh, no local shows on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Got plenty of bowl games for you. State championship game coming up Wednesday night. We'll be airing Acadiana versus Alexandria. Got some local teams in action today up at Turpin Stadium in Natchitoches. LCA taking on St. Charles at 3 o'clock. STM tonight battling De La Salle. STM the 2 seed, De La Salle the 1, St. Charles the 2, LCA the 5. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of Acadiana flavor in the in the championships this week. Tomorrow night it's Karen Crow, as they're going to be taking on Edna Carr, and then of course Wednesday night at six it's it's Acadiana against Alec, and we'll have that for you five thirty pregame Wednesday right here on ESPN fourteen twenty at dot com. Twenty minutes till the top of the hour. You know, we covered a lot of NFL in the in the first hour in, in college football, the Cajuns win, Coastal's loss. Talked about the NFC. The AFC as well in the wild win on Saturday by the Dolphins. As Miami, I've said all year, I think in terms of teams with the brightest future in the NFL, the Dolphins probably at the top of the list. First of all, you, you get a win on Sunday, you're in the playoffs, something many didn't think Miami could do this year. And you would have an 11-win season. And even if you lose, you could still get in. Granted, you'd need a little help. Uh, but on top of that, you got the Texans draft pick. You have the Texans draft pick, and right now, if the, if the, if the season ended, that would be third overall. Come on. Now, they can't clinch yet, but a victory over Buffalo would do it, or if they don't win, they need a loss by Baltimore, Cleveland, or Indianapolis. Now, Baltimore is playing the Bengals, who have won two in a row, but the Ravens will win that game. The Browns are playing the Steelers. Steelers might have a lot to play for, potentially for a seeding, and, and you know, the two-seed, Buffalo playing tonight. Um. And then if they get a win, still, I mean, the Bills all, and then the Bills play the Dolphins the last week. And then the Colts, who are just on the outside looking in, they need a win and some help. And, uh, you know, they're playing the Jaguars, who beat Indy in week one for their only win of the whole season and now have the number one. They're officially on the clock. Trevor Lawrence to the Jags. Mark it down. I think they already have. I think they've already turned in the envelope. Yeah. 
ESPN1420.com. You can email the show, Scott at ESPN1420.com. You can call me, 269-1077. Jacques emails. Scott, hearing you guys talk about Alvin Kamara reminded me that I was wrong. I admit I was the guy that said you can't pay a running back that much money, but without him, I don't see the Saints being able to do the things he can do. When he's healthy, he's that special. The problem is he's not always healthy. You know, Jacques, that you, you could literally say that about any player. Now, some are more injury-prone than others, but look at him in his four seasons. Last year, he played through injury, and he missed two games. But did he miss a ton of time his rookie year? Did he miss a ton of time in 2018? No. Has he missed any time this year? No. Drew Brees spoke this morning about Alvin Kamara. He knows football. I mean, he knows about a lot of things. I mean, he's just... He's just one of those guys that can hear something one time and he's got it. You know, uh, there's there's some guys who, you know, need to be able to, you know, rep something a few times before it becomes ingrained. And I think, uh, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys. You know, I'm a rep guy. I like reps. I like, you know, feeling timing and rhythm and just doing it kind of over and over again to to get the, the feel of something or the confidence with something. And Alvin's one of those guys who you can just tell him something. You know, he doesn't necessarily even need to get out there and rep it, and he's got it. You know, um, he'll remember it, he'll retain it, and it's a rare trait. Yeah, and it's why the Saints drafted him, because if you hear Alvin talk about his workout for the Saints, Tennessee Pro Day, Alvin, or maybe it was the combine, Alvin said, I'm not going to do individual workouts with teams. I'm just not going to do it. said he had his mind made up, he didn't want to do it. Sean Payton showed up, said, come on, man, we want to see you run these drills. It's Tennessee Pro Day. He said, nah, I don't know. He said, just just do it. So he went, he put on his cleats, didn't feel like he went on his cleats. And then he said Sean just started asking him to run various plays, various designs, and Alvin got it the first time every time. Then Sean left, and Alvin didn't think much of it, and then the Saints took him in the third round, and, of course, now he's got a big contract and has the Saints' single-season record for most touchdowns in a season with 21, tied an NFL record for rushing touchdowns in a game. And obviously, if Sean, you know, if he doesn't work out for the Saints that day, maybe they don't take him. I mean, after all, they had just, what, signed Adrian Peterson that offseason, and that was a big talk, and, oh, Peterson and Ingram, and what's going to happen? And, of course, Peterson didn't last long for the Saints. Then he went to the Cardinals. Then he went to Washington. Now now he's in Detroit, still playing in the league, but late in his career, an all-time great in Peterson. Late in his career, he just went to bad teams and took carries from younger players. Good thing he worked out for the Saints that day. But as Sean Payton said, just smart football IQ. Doesn't take, you know, but a second to process things football-wise. So makes him great. Quarter to nine. ESPN 1420.com. Take a quick time out when we come back. Get you set up for what we will be airing this week. We got a number of bowl games. We got Cajun basketball. And today at three o'clock, we will be rebroadcasting the first responders bowl, Louisiana's win over UTSA. If you missed a radio call, you get a chance to hear it this afternoon. Courtesy of Learfield IMG College, Jay Walker, Gerald Broussard. G was, man. He was fighting through a cough. He powered through, though. 
It was a fun game. More coming your way right after this. It's the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Drew Brees on the Saints' strong running game. Listen, r- r- running the football does a lot of things. Um, obviously, it allows you to really control the line of scrimmage. Um, it sets up your play-action passing game. Um, you know, it, typically, if you run the ball well, you know, you're talking four or five yards a pop. Um, it's a lot to control the tempo of the game. Time of possession becomes, um, you know, really something in your favor, um, obviously because you're chewing up the clock. Um, and I, I think it just, over time there's an attrition, you know, it wears defenses down. Um, you know, when you talk about having to defend that type of a run game over the course of, you know, three, four quarters, um, I think that's when you really start to see the benefit of it as well. Listen, r- r- running the football does a lot of things. Um, obviously it allows you to really control the line of scrimmage. Um, it sets up your play-action passing game. He could say that again. There's Drew Brees talking about the strong run game. You know, the Saints run. The Saints rushing offense this year. <clears throat> what was it, sixth in the league the year they won the Super Bowl? The importance of being able to run the football. Even in today's game, right, where it's pass-happy. The Saints are on pace to run for more yards as a team. They're currently on pace for 2,109. This is per Mike Triplett. Most rushing yards as a team since 1983. They're averaging their most rushing yards per game and fewest passing yards per game in the Peyton Breeze era. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. ESPN 1420 and All right, coming up this week. We got bowl games on our airways for you. We got Acadia and a Wrecking Ram football. We got Raging Cajun women's hoops. It's New Year's week, last week of this crazy year of 2020. But first off, we've got the First Responders Bowl rebroadcast today at 3 o'clock after Top's Take with Brad Topham. We'll have it for you right here on ESPN 1420.com. Rage Cajun Women's Hoops get back to play this Friday at 6 o'clock from the Cajun Gnome, 545 pregame. They play on Saturday at 4, 345 pregame. You can hear those right here. Men's Hoops, they get back to play as the conference play, the back-to-back days of conference play every Friday and Saturday get started. And uh, they'll get underway, and those games will be airing on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Beginning this Friday, 6 p.m., 5.45 pregame, and then Saturday, 4 p.m., 3.45 pregame. Mention Acadiana Wednesday, 5.30 pregame, 6 o'clock tip. And then in addition to the first responders uh, bowl game replay, we have got more bowl games for you on our airwaves. Tomorrow, we've got the the Cheez-It Bowl between Oklahoma State and Miami. Wednesday, we've got the Cotton Bowl, which we will join in progress following the Acadiana Reckon Ram game. Thursday, we've got the Liberty Bowl 
at three, followed by the Texas Bowl. Doubleheader for you. Friday, New Year's Day, we've got the college football playoff semifinals beginning at uh, three, Alabama, Notre Dame, then Clemson and Ohio State. I think we got the Chick-fil-A Bowl that morning as well between Cincinnati and Georgia. And Friday, you know, we'll, we'll cut out of the um, the Sugar Bowl coverage to air the uh, the Rage Gage women's game, the Rose Bowl coverage, and then we'll join back into bowl coverage following that game. So a lot of sports for you on the airwaves this week. I'll be on tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning, as will Steve Pellico with Beyond the Game, as will Brad Topham with Top State. Don't go anywhere. Steve's next with Beyond the Game at ESPN1420 and .com.